0: Okay, if you would please turn to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14. I'll be reading Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 20. Acts 14, 8 through 20. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet, He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to walk their own ways. Yet, He did not leave Himself without witness. For He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, He went on with Barnabas to Derby. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, inspired word to our hearts and to our minds. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant, Luke. We thank you for this wonderful history of the early church and the lessons you intend us to get through them. So may I be a conduit that is faithful to this passage this morning. As your Holy Spirit so graciously moves in our midst, amongst us and within us to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There are competing religions, philosophies, and worldviews in the marketplace of ideas. It's always been that way. And it will always be that way. And it is that way today. Today, with naturalism, there's nothing but the physical secularism, with atheistic Darwinism. Those are the worldviews that are the undercurrents of all the madness that we are watching in our culture today. To many, it's just a given. There is no God. A God who exists and who judges right from wrong. It is a given that there are no objective truths or realities. There is no objective morals of good and bad. The killing of babies is called a woman's reproductive rights. Biology doesn't determine male or femaleness, but a person's subjective feelings do. The Genesis account of marriage, defined as between one man and one woman, in covenant, has already been thrown into the trash heap of history. What we have in our passage this morning is a model. A model of faithfulness for us to follow faithfulness to the one true God and faithfulness to the gospel of God in the midst of all the competing worldviews that surround us today Paul and Barnabas were faithful servants to the Lord they were faithful when there were victories and conversions and not a whole lot of commotion to never take praise for themselves. And they were faithful in the face of horrible hatred and violence from the culture. And we should take heart from their example here. And we should understand our own lives in the context of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, 1-2. to This is how one should regard us, like Paul, me, Paul, and Barnabas, as servants of Christ. Stewards of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul and Barnabas, as missionaries, as preachers, as teachers who were called by the Lord, were not, and they understood this, they were not masters of the house. They knew they were slaves. They were owned and they were glad about it. They knew they were servants. Servants who were entrusted with a task with a stewardship to faithfully preach the truth about God the Creator, about the judgment to come, and about His unbounded mercy through the gospel of Jesus Christ. At this point now in our journey through Acts, remember they had just been chased out of two cities, running for their lives, because they were going to be stoned. And then they arrive in the city now of Lystra. And we see God just use Paul to publicly heal a crippled man who had never walked. And then the crowd responds with, let's get some oxen to slaughter in sacrifice, because... These guys are gods who have come in the form of human beings. And then they show these people no. And they're discouraged. And then Paul and Barnabas's enemies from the previous two towns follow them to Lystra now and they arrive and they stir up the crowd. In order to stone Paul almost to death. That is often how fickle human beings are to whom we preach the gospel. Paul was hurt badly, he was bleeding. These are going to leave scars, but he. Was faithful as a slave to his master. And what is stunning, Luke says, after he survived the horror of this, he knew he had a duty. Continue on. And the very next day, he and Barnabas began a 60 mile walk to Derby. Paul was seriously wounded. About a year later, he writes to these people where some were converted in Lystra. And there's a church planted. And he writes to them, along with the other churches that we have seen in this missionary journey. And he says this at the end of the letter. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus He is referring to the scars that he acquired here in Lystra with all of those rocks and those stones. But he went on faithful as a servant. So let's pick up, if you're there, chapter 14, Acts. I just want to backtrack just a few verses to back to verse 4 so we catch up to. Where they were, they went to Antioch and then into Iconium. And we pick up in Iconium with verse 4 of chapter 14. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra in Derby. Cities of Lyconia into the surrounding country, and there they continue to preach the gospel. And so they go to Lystra, which is about 20 miles away from Iconian. And as they get there, because there is no Jewish synagogue in Lystra, Paul most likely is preaching in the outdoors, the open marketplace. Now at Lystra, There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up, and he began walking, and the crowd was amazed, shocked. And they began speaking in their own native language, meaning not in Greek that they also spoke in, and that Paul and Barnabas spoke in. So Paul and Barnabas had no idea what they were saying. Verse 11, And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, In Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and they wanted to offer sacrifice With the crowds. So remember, if you don't know, if you haven't read Homer and the other Greeks and embedded in their pagan religions of the gods, Zeus, he is the father of Hermes, another god. Zeus is the king of the gods. Hermes is the the god of trade and the god of speaking, really, oratory. Barnabas is older than Paul, probably a little bit more calmer than Paul. He looks like the stately guy to them, so he says, that must be Zeus. And there's Paul, the main speaker, that must be Hermes. Now, outside the Bible, there's there's some writings that help us get, I think, a little context to what's happening here in this town of Lystra. Lystra. And that is because the famous Greek poet, or sorry, Latin poet Ovid, about 50 years earlier, wrote a story that happened right here in this same valley where Lystra was. And that is this, that Zeus and Hermes came down in human form and they knocked on door after door after door, and the people didn't show them, they didn't know who they were, any hospitality. They didn't give them food, sit at our table, a bed to sleep in that night, but rejected these strangers. And then they come to one small, humble cottage of a poor couple, and they open-armed welcomed them in and fed them and gave them beds to sleep in. And, and they didn't know this was Zeus or Hermes. And in response to that, Zeus and Hermes took that little cottage and they turned it into a golden-roofed temple. And then they went back to all the other Homes that didn't show them any hospitality and slaughtered them. This is in their heads, in their worldview. So these pagans now at Lystra, they didn't want to make the same mistake as they sat there and they saw this stranger miraculously heal this guy who has never, ever walked and now he's walking. So they rush to the temple and to the priest of the temple of Zeus and tell him what happens. They get a few of these animals and garlands over them and they're going to slaughter them in honor of their guest, Telistra, whom they are supposing to be Zeus and Hermes. The last thing in the world they want to happen is not to show them Proper etiquette, sacrifice, proper honor. To me, honor was huge in Greek mythology. And so, sometime over the next hour or two, someone probably told Paul and Barnabas what was actually happening, what they were actually saying, and now what they're doing because they didn't understand Lyconian. They're going to worship you guys. They think you're Zeus and Hermes. The apostles were not flattered in any way. They weren't flattered because they were faithful to Jesus. Verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? Now, now in the Old Testament, the tearing of your garments, the tearing of your clothes, it indicated that there had been a blasphemy spoken against the one true God. So they rushed out into the crowd. Crowd pleading with them not to do this horrific thing of offering sacrifices to me and Barnabas as if we are gods come down to you but instead and we'll see it his whole point is you need to turn around your thinking and turn away from these false gods to the living God is his message now look at verse 18 for a second. But even with these words, because this crowd is in a frenzy. This is how worldviews drive all of us. You have one. We all have worldviews. Even with these words, they scarcely, barely, restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. And notice Paul in his speech there now. He began with common ground. We are just like you. We're not gods. We're human. We're mortal. We're creatures. And Paul was going to progress to the gospel, to the person of Jesus, to his death, to his resurrection. But we don't see that here, probably because what happened is that they got cut off. The people got so either angry and, and discouraged as they're saying, we are not Zeus and Hermes. They were excited about this. I mean, their town is going to look at Lystra again. They did the right thing now. Let's build another temple. And they're so discouraged, they just most likely broke up and finally dispersed. They didn't offer the sacrifices, we, we, we know that, but it wasn't easy. And they walked away. But notice this now, in what we have been reading about this first missionary journey. And that's that Paul he knows his audience. You see, as a teacher, as a preacher, whether you're teaching children, whether you're teaching computer or math or anything, a good teacher always wants to know their student. Where are you now so I can come down to you, start there, and build from there? So he knows his audience because we've already seen that as he goes into the synagogues and he preaches the gospel to religious Jews, what does he do? He starts with the Bible. He starts with the scripture that they know well enough He doesn't have to build a foundation out of of, of pluralistic gods into the one true God. They already believe in the one true God of Genesis, who then called Abraham. And that's how Paul preaches to Jews. He starts there and he continues through the scripture about God's promise through David of the Messiah, etc., etc., right? And then he goes to, just a few years ago, over near Jerusalem, the king, David's son, came and he was slaughtered. And God raised him from the dead. And he argues from the scriptures that they already believe in that he is fulfilling those. That's how he preaches to Jews. These aren't Jews. These people are pretty ignorant of the Torah, of the law of Moses and the prophets their big time into their Greek culture and of the gods. And so when he preaches to pagans, and by pagan it means those here in this context of the Greco-Roman mythology of the many gods with temples and temple sacrificial systems, etc. He starts with them very differently. Verse 15. We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these empty, vain things. Sacrificing to Zeus and Hermes. And turn to a living God. Not a false one. Not a dead one. A living God who made the creator of the universe. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So Paul begins by saying, No, we are not God's come down to you in human form. We are just like you. Creatures. Creatures of the one true creator Of the universe. And he gets to the purpose of his message. Repent. Turn away. From this. False. Empty. Religion. Worship. Of the gods. We're not gods. But there is a God. And there's only one God. He is the one who created all things. And so now you must turn away from this deception that you're in to the truth. The one true God. And he continues on with them. In past generations, he, the one true God, the living God, he allowed all the nations all the Gentiles, all the nations, including you, peoples here in Lystra. He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Now hear him. This how he starts. It's how he starts. He's going to lead up to the gospel, which he doesn't get to here. But listen to him. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. He bore witness to you. For he did good by giving you, because he's sovereign, by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So in this sermon to them, Paul says, Look, yes, for centuries upon centuries, upon centuries. You've flourished. You've had a parent and grandparents and great-grandparents and you have children and some of you have grandchildren. Maybe some have great-grandchildren. You have flourished. you got a home. And you got good food to eat. And you feel gladness. But it's not because of your offering sacrifices to the Greek gods. It is because the one true creator, the sustainer of everything and everybody, he has been good to you. Bearing witness to his common grace over your lives he allowed you to go your own rebellious ways without destroying you now you got to get this and you read between the lines what Paul what do these words mean and what he's saying to him is this up until now up until this day as Paul preaches. He did not give you special revelation. He didn't give you written revelation. As he did for almost the last 2,000 years. Since Abraham. To the Jews. He gave them special. Particular Revelation, revealing His will and purpose in words. But everybody else in the planet, He let you go your own ways. But yet, Paul says, He did not leave you without any witness. He left you with a witness. A witness of His existence. A witness of His worthiness to be worshipped by you. He gave you general revelation. That you breathe, he's saying. That you eat good food. That you enjoy your children and that you laugh. Is evidence of this one true creator. Of his goodness toward you. Paul's line of reasoning as he preaches to these pagans though it's much more abbreviated because it gets cut off here it is the same as what he wrote in Romans chapter 1 in the same way he preached to the pagans who worshipped these Greek gods over in Athens, Greece in Acts chapter 17 human beings We create worldviews, false ones. We create myths, like the ancient Greek gods. And we create modern mythologies, like naturalism. There is nothing in existence but the physical or evolutionism. We do it because we're sinners. We do it because God has borne witness to all peoples. And it's there. So we create false religions and worldviews in order to escape the reality that we are accountable. To the one true, holy, moral God. As Paul said in Romans 1. All of us human beings. We, by our very unrighteousness. We want to go on sinning and doing things our way. By that very unrighteousness, what we do is deny the truth. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But Paul declares here that the creation of the world itself, natural theology, general revelation, is enough to condemn People for their rebellion against the one true God. But that natural revelation of the creation is not enough to save them from their sin. To be saved, people everywhere, people in Lystra. Just note later on, I mean, Timothy is in this town. That's where he's from. He will be converted. People need to hear the gospel which proclaims the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ who then offers totally freely complete eternal forgiveness and offers eternal human resurrection life to anybody and everyone who will believe in Christ and that's exactly where Paul was headed in this sermon before it gets cut off so what I do want to do then is just jump forward a little bit now and I just want to Read, and let us hear Paul, as he doesn't get cut off until a little bit later, well, he gets cut off again, but when he is in Athens, Greece, okay, to these people who hold to all kinds of strange philosophies, and to the Greek gods, and Zeus, and Hermes, and Apollo, and on and on and on. In chapter 17, starting with verse 24, Paul was given the floor, and all these people were listening to him in this place. The God who made the world, here he goes again, starting with creation. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. It's false. False worship that you're doing. Nor is he served. That you pacify Him like you do Poseidon. Oh, please don't let the storm kill us on our ship. Offer sacrifice. He needs you to do that. No, 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 no. He is not served by human hands as though He needed anything since He Himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and Everything. And he made from, now he alludes to Genesis, but he doesn't quote Genesis because this is just the truth of the world. He tells them he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined, listen to God's patient sovereignty, having determined, excuse me, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. And yet, He is actually not far from each one of us. And then he quotes one of their Greek guys from Crete. Paul knows his audience. In Him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, and then he quotes the Greek poet, eratus for we are indeed His offspring. And he goes on. Being then, God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, He commands all people everywhere here in Athens to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a human being, a man whom he has appointed. And of this fact... He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Okay, that's where he gets interrupted because people start to mock him. Okay, but he will go on. What I want to do then with the rest of our time, the next 10, 12 minutes, briefly, is to consider what we just saw here in his speech in Athens in verse 30 and how we see him say essentially the same thing in our passage, chapter 14, verse 16. Contemplate it. In verse 30, Paul says to them, the times of ignorance before you're getting the gospel now. And he means the last few thousand years. The times of ignorance got overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now in chapter 14, verse 16, here in Lystra, Paul says this to them: "In past generations, last few thousands of years. in past generations. God allowed all the nations, all the people groups, with all of their false religions, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. So here's the question. Will God judge... And is it just, will God be just to judge all of those past people groups? Or all the persons in those people groups who were never given the Scripture like the Jews were? Or, even up till today, who had never heard the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Will He judge them and condemn them? And if He does, is He right? Is it just? Particularly in the light that Paul says, God allowed all of these non-Jewish peoples to go their own ways, meaning their own rebellious ways of false gods and false religions so first in answering it let me say it this way nobody will be condemned in judgment because they did not believe in Jesus that's dangerous to say so because there are texts that say that's why they'll be condemned so what I mean is this it's like saying this there's a deadly, deadly you can ask Andrew which one really does this but let's just pretend they do I always get new information from Andrew about snakes sometimes but there's a deadly venomous snake two people get bit there's an antidote right there to save their lives one person believes in the antidote The other person doesn't. The one who believes takes the antidote and lives. The other person dies. What I am saying is, they didn't die because, that person didn't die because he did not take the antidote. Well, in in one sense, that's true. That's why the Bible will say that's true if you refuse Jesus. But there's the because there's different levels. The other level is, the reason he died was because he got bitten by the snake. And the other person would have died too. There's a remedy for that. So what I mean is this. If you're following me. I hope they didn't mess it up. Nobody will be condemned. Because I just refuse to believe in Jesus. That's not why you're being condemned. You're being condemned. Because of your rebellion against God. And your sin. God's justice. Is treating you before Christ or after Christ, for your actual rebellion in sin against God. Okay? Make sense? Okay. Move on. God does not owe anybody or any culture or any people groups or any person mercy. He doesn't owe it by definition if god is just he owes justice and to do what is right and he always does but mercy by definition is not owed he is he is perfectly just in letting all the nations go their own ways without ever giving them the revelation of the gospel. So I'm going to go slowly. I'm going to read. You might want to turn there if you're an I person to read with me. I'm going to read Romans 1, starting with verse 18 through 23. Six verses. And to just hear Paul on this issue. For the wrath of God, there's His judgment, it is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of human beings who by their unrighteousness suppress, push down, deny the truth. And He starts to explain. For what can be known about God, it is plain to them. Well, how so? Because God has shown it to them, every person, every culture. What do you mean? For God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, And His divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How? In the things that have been made. Study the human body. Study the galaxies. Study 10,000 other things about this creation. The only logical conclusion is there is a maker. They have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. He goes further. For although they knew God... Oh, yeah. All of us, human creatures, we know. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But instead, they became futile in their thinking, in their intellect, and their stories and their worldviews and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. Like many Greeks, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and Apollo and Zeus and Hermes. That's Paul's answer. That's why we're guilty. Not because, I never heard of Jesus. I know. But we're guilty. And we can all be absolutely assured that the Creator will always do what is right, and just. He will judge each person with perfect justice. And yes, God did. He did withhold special revelation from these Gentiles for centuries on end. And He gave His revealed will Just to the Jews. But as Paul announces here, those times are over. The gospel is here. God's mercy is flooding the earth through my people. The gospel is to go to all peoples. From the Jews to the Gentiles. And so before Jesus ever came into the world, and ever since Christ's coming into the world, each and every person will be judged in the light of the witness of creation itself and be judged according to the knowledge of God's ways and of His mercy that was available to them. Now, where do I get that? I'm going to start with Matthew 11 for a second. And hear the words of the Lord Jesus. Starting with verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce... The cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Okay, stop. This is special revelation. The Word Himself is there performing in fulfillment of. Old Testament prophecies miracle after miracle and God in these final days spoke to us through His Son there He is and so in response to their non-response Jesus says woe W-O-E means very bad judgment coming upon you woe to you Chorazin woe to you Bethsaida for if, if the mighty works done in you, in your towns, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for you. Don't let anyone ever tell you that all judgment on judgment day is all the same. It is not. There are degrations of judgment in God's perfect ways. Or Jesus makes zero sense here. He goes on, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades for if, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, then Sodom, it would have remained to this day. God would not have judged it and destroyed it. God knows all things. They would have responded better than Capernaum. But he says, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than it will be for you, Capernaum, here in Galilee. To whom much is given, much will be required. The judgment for some will be stricter than the judgment for others in their condemnations outside of Christ. But it will be perfectly just. I'm going to read one more text from Paul. Slowly, again, let us hear the word of the Lord. He writes in Romans 2, starting with verse 6. God will render to each person according to His works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, and also the Greek. But there will be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality whether you're a Jew or a Greek. And he says this, For all who have sinned without the law will perish also without the law. Okay, what do you say? For all of those people groups who did not have Moses and the Ten Commandments and the Declaration have no other gods before me, I am one the Shema, Deuteronomy. Hero O oh Israel, the Lord our God is one. They don't have the law in God's written, revealed ways. He says, "You got it." And without the law, they will be judged apart from the law by creation, and they're guilty. And all who have sinned under the law, the Jew. They will be judged, then, by the law of Moses. But in all of it, God is perfectly just. There is an antidote to every soul. Worshipper of Zeus or a legalistic Pharisee. And the antidote is that he sent his son. He sent his son to bear the penalty of the sins of the Greeks and every tribe, people, nation, and tongue, and Jew, who will believe in him. And thus justice has been met perfectly in his son. On behalf of all. Who will have him. Every human being. From the beginning. Of creation. Except for one. The Lord Jesus. Are sinners. And they are guilty. Before God. And there is only one way. To be delivered from the justice. That we all deserve. From one degree or another. And that is through the sacrificial death, and the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to us all, eternal pardon and eternal life are freely offered to everyone who will believe. And that's why the Apostle Paul declares for everyone who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, they will be saved from judgment. And then he goes on and says, well, how then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed, the Lord Jesus? And and how are they to believe in him of whom they've, they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Then he quotes the text. Oh, how beautiful are the feet. He doesn't say this, but I will. Of Paul and Barnabas. And ten thousands upon hundreds of thousands of believers throughout the centuries. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The gospel. And so we see Paul and Barnabas. They went and they preached the gospel. And then Paul gets a whole herd of rocks thrown at his head, in his body, in his legs as he tries to cover up. But he didn't die because of God's mercy. And he gets up. And the next day, They go to the next town to preach the gospel. And so let us, we who love the Lord Jesus, who know that He has spoken in special revelation from Genesis through the book of Revelation, who understand the gospel and His ways, who live in a culture that is is flying away From where it used to be. In understanding. And believing. And living by so much. Of the revelation of God. Let us continue to be. Bold. With the gospel. No one stoning us with stones. Yet. But let us be bold with the gospel. To sinners in the midst. Of our culture. Today. Father, is, is Elisha wanted a portion of the Spirit that was upon Elijah. You were merciful and gave him double. Oh, how we, in our weakness, feel so needy to have the portion of your Spirit in our boldness that Paul and Barnabas had that we would continue to remain faithful. Oh, Father, that these young people who know You and those who don't will come to know You in the life in front of them, may they, may they not waste it. But by the power of Your Spirit causing them to feel the intensity and the beauty of walking with Jesus to be faithful, May those of us who have already seen decades of service to You, worship of You, oh, may we finish stronger now than even when we began by Your grace. To the glory of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen.